Throughout the month of October, the WVBS podcast will focus in on providing some excellent evangelism lessons so you can teach others about the good news of the gospel. Today's podcast comes from the program Video Bible Study. This study is designed to introduce you to God's Word and teach you the simple plan of salvation. You will be guided through the scriptures, so an in-depth knowledge of the Bible is not required to participate. Join John Hafner in answering questions about what the Bible says to grow your understanding. If you enjoy this first part of the study, be sure to continue your study online with the Video Bible Study Part 2. It is vitally important that we all understand what to do in order to be pleasing to God. Everything you need to know has been written down and preserved in detail. God has had His Spirit select men and use them to write down exactly what the Father wants to say to you. The instructions from God, the story of the Son's victory over death, and the beginning of His church are all held within the pages of His Holy Word, which we call the Bible. It is necessary for each one of us to reject the lies of the evil one, then search and obey the truth of God in the Bible. My name is John Hafner, and I'm here to help you by showing you what God has said. As we go through this study together, you will notice how all our answers will come directly from the words of the Bible. Some of these questions will have very basic, very simple answers. Others will take a little more time to figure out. You can read these verses for yourself as they appear on the screen, and you will be able to understand for yourself what God wants you to know. The first part of our Bible study deals with God's Word and truth. We will begin by showing that the truth is found only in God's Word. In the Bible, Jesus, the Son of God, said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, our first question is, Jesus said, What will make you free? Well, based on this verse of the Bible, our answer is, The truth will make you free. Simple enough, right? Okay, in the next verse, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here our question is, Jesus told us we must worship God in spirit and in what? And the answer is truth. Worshiping in the spirit describes having the right attitude in your heart one of humility and sincerity. Worshiping in truth describes doing that which is in harmony with the revealed will of God. Now let's come to another Bible verse. Jesus, when praying to the Father, said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. All right, what did Jesus say truth is? That's right, God's word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart. So this verse tells us how God's people will be set apart or different from the rest of the world. We are different because we seek to follow God's word in all that we do. Next, we note that in the Bible, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, 
And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay, looking at this verse, the question is, where did Jesus say that his words were from? The answer is, his words are from the Father. This means that God the Father communicated to mankind through the teaching of his son Jesus. All right, at our next verse, the Bible says, Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The question from this verse is, What does Jesus have in heaven and on earth? Well, you can see the answer in his statement. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. God the Father has given his Son complete authority. This means Jesus has authority over all flesh, including you and me. Elsewhere in the Bible, we find this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, we've got two questions at this point. First, what has God made Jesus to be head over? The answer would have to be the church. Secondly, does this mean that Jesus has all authority over the church? Yes, that's right, it does. Jesus having all authority means that we cannot decide how the church is organized or how the church worships. We don't have that authority because it's all been given to Jesus Christ. Okay, next we come to this verse. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And our question is, the things Jesus did are written so that you might what? They were written so that you might believe. That's right. And secondly, out of this verse, we want to be believing so that we might have what? And right there at the end of the verse, the answer is that you might have life in his name. Good job. And in our next Bible verse, we read this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Here our question is, these things are written to you who believe so that you may blank that you have eternal life. What word goes in the blank? You can find it there in the verse, that you may know that you have eternal life. Right. Next, we notice what else the Bible has to say about this topic. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so according to this verse, how does faith come? What would you say? It comes by hearing, but not just hearing anything. Hearing what specifically? By hearing the word of God. Right. God's word is written 
so that we can have faith. It is recorded so that you and I can form our beliefs and obey what is taught. All right, let's come to our next verse. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And our question is, what is able to save your soul? The word, good. Here the word being called the implanted word means that you have taken to heart and obeyed God's instruction. In our next verse, we find the Bible describes Christians by saying, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. According to this verse, how is one born again? The answer would be through the word. And as an additional question here, we would ask, should you go to any other source to learn how to be saved? No, of course not. Consider what else the Bible has to say about God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the question for you here is, does the Bible thoroughly equip us for every good work? Yes, it does. So if we are complete with God's word, would there be any important information we're lacking or still waiting to receive? No, absolutely not. Okay, now we come to the last verse under this section of our study. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And here, let's see if you can fill in the blanks. God has given us all things that pertain to blank and blank. What would you say? According to this verse, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Nicely done. Okay, that brings us to the end of this section. You're doing good. And it's not too difficult, right? We are allowing the Bible to answer our questions by just simply reading the verses carefully together. Now, you understand that we should not use any other book for religious authority because God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in the Bible. We don't form our beliefs or base our teachings on any standard other than the truth of God's Word. The next part of our study deals with God's Word not being changed. We will show that no one has the right to change what God has said in His Word. And here's our first verse for this part of the study. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take anything from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Okay, and the question is, would we please God if we added to or deleted anything from his word? No, 
Obviously, this is something God has commanded us not to do. Elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus spoke about people in his day who were changing God's word. He said, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Clearly, the people being described weren't worshiping properly. What were they using as their teaching or doctrine? What does the verse say? Right, they were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men rather than the word of God. All right, here's our next verse. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So according to this verse, who will be allowed to enter heaven? Based on this scripture, the answer is the one who does the will of the Father. This shows that if we want to go to heaven, we must be careful in how we handle the word of God. Now you understand that we will not go to heaven if we add to or take away from God's word in the Bible. All right, as we continue in our study, we will now show that the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first part, the Old Testament, was for the people who lived before the Son of God came to earth. The second part, the New Testament, is for those who live today, including you and me. Notice our first scripture on this. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Okay, first question. How did God speak to the fathers in times past? The answer is, by the prophets. Prophets were proclaimers of God's will. God shared his teaching with the prophets, who then would spread that message to all the people. Now the second question here. How does God speak to us in these last days? Well, here in the verse it says, by his Son. The Bible also records Jesus as saying, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Our question here is, what did Jesus say would judge us? And the answer in the verse is, we will be judged by the word that he has spoken. Okay, now might be a good time for us to revisit a verse we've already looked at together. See if you remember reading this one. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So how much authority did God the Father give to Jesus in heaven and on earth? All authority. Right. This means if any religious message today is to be truly authoritative, then it must come from Jesus. Either the words he spoke directly or the words Jesus revealed to his followers and commanded them to speak. The teaching God communicated through the prophets in the days of the Old Testament are not a binding authority 
on mankind today. Consider what this next verse says. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Two questions here. First, the law was given through who? Through Moses, right. Moses was God's leader over the Hebrew people in the days of the Old Testament. He spoke God's word to them. Now, the second question out of this verse is, grace and truth came by who? And the answer is, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace is the favor of God, which we could never deserve, given to us in teaching and opportunity to obey that word. We don't gain God's favor by following the teaching of Moses today. Rather, we do so by following the teaching of Jesus Christ. All right, let's see another verse describing Jesus. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Based on this scripture, Jesus is the what of the new covenant? The mediator, right. A mediator serves as a go-between for two parties. Jesus is the go-between for mankind and God. The New Testament is a covenant between God and man. Like a will comes into effect after a person's death, this covenant came into effect with the death of Jesus. Okay, speaking again about Jesus, our next verse says this, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Here's the question for you to answer. According to what the Bible says, which covenant is superior or better? The second, that's right. The new covenant or New Testament is said in the Bible to be better and superior to the old covenant, sometimes called the law of Moses. If that first covenant, the Old Testament, had been without fault, would God have given us the second covenant, the New Testament? No, and you can see that at the end of this section of the scripture, if it had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Notice some of the specific words found in our next verse. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. When a thing is obsolete, it is outdated or no longer necessary. The question here is, when God gave the new covenant, did he make the old covenant no longer in force? Yes, that's right. Now there's one more scripture we want to know in this part of our study. Therefore, 
let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. To be justified is to be declared innocent by God, free from the guilt of sin. Looking at the verses we've just read, can we be justified by the law of Moses, the Old Testament system? No. All right, very good. Now you understand that the New Testament is the law that is spiritually binding today and not the Old Testament. The words of Jesus have all authority for you and me. In the next part of our study, we're going to examine God's word and sin. We'll see what the Bible says about sin. First, you must understand that every adult human has disobeyed God. See what the Bible says here. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. How does this verse describe what sin is? It's lawlessness, right? When we break God's law, we are sinning against him and failing to be righteous. God's word reveals this to be a common problem for all of us. Look at the next verse here. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We could ask the question here, how many are righteous? And you see the answer, none. A little further on, the Bible says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. This includes me, and this includes you, too. Second, the effect of sin is described in the Bible. Read this scripture with me. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. The question is, what has caused God's face to be hidden? And the answer is, your sins. Iniquity is a word meaning wickedness or evil. This means that when we sin, we are separating ourselves from God. Thirdly, the Bible shows us where sin comes from. God's word says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Temptation is the desire to do something against God's law. According to this verse, each one is tempted when he is what? When he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Right, you can see that in the verse. And another question on this one, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? 
It gives birth to sin and death. Now you understand how all have sinned. Because we have gone after our own desires, we have broken God's law, and we have separated ourselves from Him. In the next part of our study, we will look at how God judges sinful disobedience. We need to discuss God's Word and judgment. All right, the first thing we will note, God's Word says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. First question for you, what are the wages of, or what is earned by, sin? Death, that's correct. And the second question, what is the gift of God? Eternal life. Death is what sinners deserve, but God and his Son care for us so much that they have provided a way for us to have eternal life in place of death. More on this later. You know, the Bible provides several lists of sinful and disobedient actions. In this next verse, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Looking through these verses, will the unrighteous inherit the kingdom of God? No, of course not. God will simply not allow that. Notice what is said in this other Bible verse. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. First question here, is God just, meaning righteous? Well, yes, he is. So if a judge were to refuse to sentence convicted criminals, would we call him just or righteous? No, of course not. Therefore, we would say that God's justice, his righteousness, demands that he would punish the guilty. There are many other verses that describe God's justice. Our next verse says this, For there is no partiality with God. Partiality means unfairly having a preference for one over another, showing favoritism. Based on this verse, do you think that God will unfairly judge some today differently than others? No. Since there is no partiality with God, all will be judged by the same standard. Another verse on this topic describes God saying this, who will render to each one according to his deeds. The question for you here is, what is going to determine how you are judged by God? The answer is found in the verse, according to your deeds. Our choices, either for faithfulness or disobedience, really do matter. Near the very end of the Bible, we read this section of Scripture. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, 
and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Our first question here, the dead were judged according to their what? Right, they are judged according to their works. Now, second question, in this scripture, what happened to those not found in the book of life? The Bible says they were cast into the lake of fire. Thankfully, God's word shows that he does not want you to be cast into that lake of fire. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, is it God's desire that you would perish or be lost eternally? No, you can see that's not what God wants. In a similar verse, we read this about God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does God desire to see all men saved? Yes, he does. All right, in our next verse, we start to see how God planned to accomplish this work of salvation. The verse says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the question for you. What did God do to show his love toward sinful mankind? The answer is seen there at the end of the verse. Christ died for us. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was the greatest act of God's love toward mankind. Okay, and just after that, the Bible says this. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. How can you and I be justified according to this scripture? By his blood. That's right. Only through the sacrifice of Jesus given on the cross can mankind be declared innocent by God. Now, notice what's required of us in our next verse. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Question. Who exactly is Jesus the author of eternal salvation to? Well, as it says here, he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Salvation is only made possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus, but it is clear that our obedience is required. Consider the words of Jesus on this topic. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, 
Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Our first question here, will Jesus save all who call upon his name? No, he won't. As you saw at the start of this scripture, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, and here's your second question. Were these believers lost? Yes, they were told to depart from the Lord because they practiced lawlessness. That is, they were living in sin. And a third question here also. Based on this verse, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, you see, it's not everyone. The Bible says it is he who does the will of the Father. Again, you must be obedient in order to be saved. Let's look at another verse to help us bring these ideas together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, first fill in the blank. The verse says, by grace you have been saved through blank. Through faith, that's right. We are obedient to God's word because we believe what he has said. Now you understand how God must judge sinners. Our past lawlessness means that we deserve death and we deserve eternal separation from God. The only way to be saved from this punishment is through God's gift of grace, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God has done his part in making that possible, demonstrating his great love and care for us. Now we are required to do our part. We must faithfully obey the teaching revealed by Jesus in order to be judged righteous by God. All right, in this next part of our study, we want to look at God's word and salvation. We want to understand God's plan for you to go to heaven. Look at what the next scripture says. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the first question, will you die in your sins if you do not believe in Jesus? Yes, that's what this verse tells us. And the second question, according to this scripture, if you die in your sins, that is with unforgiven sins, Will you be with Jesus? No, you will not. The Bible tells us how after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus went to heaven. If your sins are not forgiven by God, you cannot go to be with him in heaven. That's why this is so important. Okay, on to our next verse, where the Bible says this. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And your question here is, what does God command all men everywhere to do? To repent, that's right. 
Repentance is a word that means change. This is where we're motivated to change by hearing and believing the teaching of Jesus. Our minds, our hearts, and our actions are different as we leave behind our own desires and work to obey God in all things. Consider what else God's Word says on this topic. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. All right, is merely being sorry for your sins the repentance that God demands of us? No, it's not. Repentance doesn't just look at the past with sadness. Repentance looks to the future with a new purpose, to live as God wants us to live. But more is still required beyond believing and repenting. Let's come to another verse. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And here's your question. With our mouths, we do what toward salvation? We make confession. This describes a follower of God saying before others that they believe Jesus is the Son of God. Here's another place in the Bible that talks about confession. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And here we can ask the question, will you be saved if you do not confess Jesus before men? Yeah, you can see the answer has to be no. All right, so once a person has heard the word of God, has believed its message, has repented of their sins, and has confessed Jesus to be the Son of God, what more must they do in order to be saved and go to heaven? Let's notice some more Bible verses together. First, we'll read this one. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, in these verses, Peter, the inspired preacher, told these believers to repent and to do what? To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's right. And he also said that they should be baptized into Jesus for what purpose? For the remission of sins. In this scripture, baptism describes immersion in water. That is to be dipped or plunged to the point of being totally covered in the water and then raised back up out of it. According to God's word, baptism is for the purpose of remission or cleansing of our sins. We want to look now at a few more verses talking about baptism. There is also an antitype which now saves us, 
namely baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the question here is, according to this verse, what now saves us? Baptism, that's right. And this burial in water isn't about removing dirt from our physical bodies. It is for the purpose of removing the stains of sin. Notice what Jesus said on this issue. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. According to this verse, what two things must a person do to be saved? Believe and be baptized. That's what the verse says. That's right. Now, do you think a person would want to be baptized into Jesus if he did not believe in Jesus? No, the one who does not believe has not even taken the first steps toward becoming a follower of God. We should consider how closely related these ideas are in the Bible. Look at another verse with me. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Where is salvation located based on this verse? Well, you can see it says that salvation is in Christ. So we need to understand that a person must be in Christ in order to be saved. Here's a verse to help us see how that is done. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so here we ask the question, how does a person get into Christ? The Bible says you must put on Christ by baptism. Jesus and baptism are even further connected in the Bible. Read this next verse with me. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And the question here, when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we are baptized into his what? Into his death. This is important because Jesus' blood was shed in his death on the cross, and his blood is the only thing that will wash away our sins. Thus, when a person is baptized, as directed in the New Testament, they are baptized into the death of Jesus, thereby contacting his blood and receiving the forgiveness of past sins. Now, look at the verse just after this one. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Does the Bible teach that burial in the waters of baptism represents the burial of Christ? Yes, we saw it in that verse. Please notice again that baptism means immersion. A burial describes a complete covering up of a person. Also, please notice that 
as a person rises out of the waters of baptism, they are to walk in newness of life. That is, they are a new person. They are born again. Now, let's look at another verse. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And here's your question. How many baptisms are valid today in God's will? Just one. Yeah, that's right. Since God accepts only one baptism, we must be careful to be sure we are baptized in the way which God requires. All right, come with me to another scripture. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Okay, we have several questions here. First, did Philip baptize the eunuch in water? Yes, that's right, he did. Second, did both Philip and the eunuch go down into the water? Yes, the Bible says both Philip and the eunuch went down. Now, third question, would it have been necessary for both Philip and the eunuch to go down into the water if the one baptism that God commands was just a sprinkling of water or pouring water? No, that wouldn't make much sense at all. And the fourth question, would it have been necessary for both Philip and the eunuch to go down into the water if the one baptism that God commands is immersion? Yes, exactly. Remember that immersion is to dip or plunge to the point of being fully covered. In other words, the eunuch went all the way under the water. Okay, now one more thing we need to notice at this scripture. What did Philip ask the eunuch before baptizing him into Jesus? Well, we read it together. He asked the eunuch if he believed with all his heart. It's important for us to note that going under the water would mean nothing if the person does not believe the truth of the gospel. Therefore, we can know that a person must be able to hear and understand about Jesus and about his sacrifice before they're baptized into his death. Do you think a baby would be able to knowingly and responsibly accept baptism as the command of God? No, of course not. They cannot yet comprehend or believe the gospel, and they do not yet know right and wrong. But you, as an adult, understand this message. You can see how important it is, how important it is to God that you become a Christian according to the teaching of the Bible. Will you make that decision as soon as possible? Now you understand what you need to do to please God. 
when we hear the words of the Bible, we can understand what we must do to be saved from our sins. The sacrifice of Jesus makes salvation possible. He authored eternal salvation for those who will obey Him. We obey Him by believing His Word, repenting of our sins, confessing Him as Lord, being baptized into His death, and living faithful lives of obedience. Now let's review what we've learned together in our study. Looking into the Bible, we saw that God's Word is the truth, and man must not add to or take away from the Word of God. We also saw that God's Word has been given to mankind in two parts. The Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, was for the people living before God's Son came to the earth. And the New Covenant, or New Testament, is for people living today. We saw how our enemy, Satan, tempts us to sin. Sin is transgression of God's law, and it separates us from Him. We are all in need of cleansing from God's Son. And we saw that God, in His great love and care for us, has made salvation possible. Salvation is by grace through faith. God's part is accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and our part is accomplished through believing and obeying what He has taught us. It's important for you to remember that God loves you and desires the very best for you. Thank you for going through this study with me. If you would like help finding people who follow the teaching of God's Word in your area, if you need help finding someone to assist you in being baptized, or if you have any questions regarding what you've just learned, please email your questions to help at wvbs.org. May God bless you.